The scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 2. You'll want to find that in your Bibles. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Thank you, Chad. This morning, I want to really talk about what it means to stay grounded in, in Christ. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a sign here uh, that you might find if you are, are driving around in Canada. And it looks like, looks like this. If you're in Canada and you drive about, you see this sign. Um, now, my wife and I, we've only been here for, for three months, and if there's any policemen in here, just, just uh, this is where you turn your ears off right now to my story, Brad. And um, so I, we don't have this sign in, in, in England um, at all. And so when you approach a junction, we have a different way of driving. You approach a junction, uh, you just, you kind of just drive, and if there's nobody around, you, you go, Right. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, I've just been casually doing as they do in England. You come to a, a, a weird four-way junction. I'm not too sure what's going on. Uh, and so you kind of pull up in my car, and I just look around, and if, uh, I just go, right? And uh, so I've been doing this for two or three months. Uh, and so and I've, I, there's been times when there's that sign been there, and I've gone anyhow, and then there's people peeping their horns at me and, you know, swearing at me. And I don't know what's going on because uh, I, we, 
we, we give way, way to the right. Um, so if it's the right-hand side, I, I have the, the right of way. It doesn't work like that here, right? It's a very, very different system. So I've just been casually driving my car through these different intersections. Um, until one day I had a Canadian in my car with me, and they said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You know, you've got to stop, and there's a certain process that they explained. Uh, and so it makes sense, really, when you look at the sign. Uh, <laughs> it's quite obvious, right? <laughs> it says stop. And you think, ah, right, okay. I just, yeah, now that someone explained it to me, it makes sense that I, I have to stop my car. Uh, I but it didn't, it didn't make sense. It didn't register. It didn't process because I've been doing my driving for the last 25 years the way I've always been doing my driving. And I come here, different context. Uh, it, it, it just didn't register. It's a warning sign. Stop your car because there's danger ahead and you need to be aware of it. Well, I learned that lesson. And now um, I do stop my car. Uh, I've learned that lesson. Yay! And uh, hey, it's amazing. I don't, people don't swear at me as much, <laughs> which is awesome. That's uh, good. It's a good thing. Um, so, as I'm saying, information plus application equals transformation. That's what we've been looking at. And John, in his passage this morning, is giving us uh, a warning. He's warning us. Uh, in the passage this morning, and I think it's important for us to be listening to the warnings that John is giving us. And so my first point I want to make this morning is that we need not to be seduced by the world around us. Looking at verses 15 to 17, do not be seduced by the world. Do not love the world or anything in it, it says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. What does it mean, do not love the world? What does it mean, I love the world? I love where I live. Is that wrong for me, to love where I live? I love the Kewichan Valley. I, yesterday we went to Fuller Lake canoeing. I, I loved it. It was a great afternoon. I love Vancouver Island. I love going to the cinema and eating popcorn. Sometimes I do it on a Sunday afternoon. <gasps> I love to barbecue. These things are of the world. Are they wrong? Am I allowed to love them? Well, if you want to take the Bible seriously, we have to learn how to approach the Bible properly. And um, when we read our Bibles, we have to understand that the Bible has a, a range of meanings for different words. And one of the crucial ones in the New Testament is the word world. Uh, and in the Greek, the, the, the language that the New Testament was written in, word cosmos is used um, 186 times in the New Testament. So 77 of those um, are in the Gospel of, of John. Um, and we have 23 times we have uh, in 
1 John, we see this occurring. And there's, in 2 John, it says, and, and in total, I think it's 101 times the word cosmos is used uh, for us. And so that's a lot of word. That's a lot of usage of this word cosmos. And it has actually different meanings depending upon the context it's written in. So, for example, the cosmos uh, can mean all created things. John 1 verse 10 tells us he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. There's two or three meanings in that one verse. But, you know, the world, the universe, all created things was made through Christ. So the world cosmos just means everything around us, the universe, the world. The second meaning cosmos could have is the place where we live. 1 John 4, 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are living in the world. It's just where we live, our, our habitat. John 3, 19 says, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So it's just the second meaning of cosmos is where we live. So first meaning, the universe. Second meaning, where we live. The third meaning is the dwelling place of sin and sinners. Fallen creation. Uh, and this could be split into two meanings again. So the first one is that the fallen creation is in subjection to the evil one. Uh, so John 12, 31 tells us that, um, have we got that? Or John 5, 19, that the evil one is just uh, in charge. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. He's the one who is in the world. John 17 says, we are chosen out of the world. And in John 1 John 3, 13, the world hates us. It's the fallen world around us. This is the world as the fallen creation is in subjection to the evil one. But there's a flip side to that as well. So the world is fallen. The world isn't what God intended it to have been. But there's a flip side as well. Because the Bible also tells us that in this fallen creation, we can also be an object of God's affection. God pours his love into this fallen world around us. You see, God so loved the world, it says in 1 John 4, 9, that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. God is pouring his affection, his love, his care, his grace, his mercy into this fallen world around us. He is the propitiation, the atonement, the atonement for the sins of the whole world. Someone's listening to a sermon. That's right. Atonement means just atonement with God. So God in this fallen realm, in this fallen cosmos, is pouring his love through the atonement 
of Christ in our lives. 1 John 2 verse 2, highlight in your Bible. So what's John trying to get at here in this passage? We are in the world and it's God's created order, but because of sin, it's not ideal. And we can enjoy the world around us because it was created by God. We can enjoy his beauty. We can enjoy each other's company. We can enjoy a barbecue on a Sunday afternoon. But we are to reject the system of the fallen world around us. What's the main idea that John is trying to get at here? Simply put, don't love the world. But the fact he says it tells me that he, we do love the world as Christians. 2,000 years on from John writing to these people, we do love the world. We have a tendency to fall and love the things in the world around us as opposed to the things of God. Loving the world, though, isn't just limited to external things, but it's also an attitude of our hearts. You see, John begins to pick a little bit deeper in this. And he says, this is the problem with humanity in the world around us. For everything in the world, this is our attitude here. The cravings of sinful man, I think I've got the points on the screen. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he does comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's three things that John highlights here. The trinity of sin, some people call it. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what's the desires of the flesh? Well, the things that make me feel good right now. Lust. The things that kind of just get me excited in this moment which probably we, we all know deep down aren't good for us. And the thing is, with the desires of the flesh, I think society's become desensitized to them. What would be shocking 50 years ago probably isn't shocking today because we've been desensitized to the desires of the flesh because of things that we see on TV or the things that we scroll through on our phones or what is permissible in society today wouldn't have been allowed 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. The BBC in England used to have very strict rules of what you could and couldn't have on TV. If it was to lower the standard of our, of our morality, then they wouldn't have it. That's been blown out of the water in recent years, hasn't it? With things that we can see on TV or the internet today. We've become desensitized to things. So, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, greed, envy, jealousy, sexual stimulation. Somebody once said that worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal. And then you've got the pride of life, John says. Our own status, our own importance. Self, me. When the devil tempted Jesus Christ in the desert, he tempted Christ with these three same temptations. These three areas are the areas that the devil will try and pull us away from having a relationship with God himself. Temptations that we are all ready and struggle with. 
But John is saying, don't focus on these things that the world promote and is okay and is acceptable, but focus on what God wants. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be made complete. What a verse. Seek God in his kingdom. You see, we can't seek God in his kingdom and desire the things of what the world would deem okay and acceptable. They just don't come together. It's like oil and water. I can't love the world and love God. I can't love Jesus in one breath. Say, I love Christ and the way he makes me feel. But then I love porn. I, I love going to church. I love the way I worship and be with all my friends in church. But I want what my neighbor has. I want his fancy car and nice swimming pool. I love reading my Bible and the things and the knowledge I get from that. But I can't forgive my brother or sister in Christ because what they've done to me. The two just cannot go together. And John is saying we need to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness be consumed with the things of God. Be passionate about seeing God's rule over our life, over our family, over our church, over our community. And seeing that Christ is proclaimed in all aspects of our lives. The world is a wonderful place. It really is. But you can only really enjoy the world in God's way. To try and enjoy the world in a worldly way, well, we lose out altogether. You see, when we seek God, God is a God who gives. He invests. He pours out into our lives. We are filled with the Spirit. We are filled with love. We are filled with grace. We have an abundant life in Christ. But when we seek the things of the world, well, it just steals. It robs. It hurts. It brings chaos and hurt into people's lives. The world is our environment, but it isn't supposed to be our natural environment. Like a scuba diver. A scuba diver goes out there, and he's in the sea, and he's swimming around, but it's not his natural environment. The Bible says that the world, for us, we are called aliens and strangers. There are a lot of wonderful things in the world, but we don't belong here just yet. You see, uh, when I was in England, I, I, have, um, I supported a football team, a team called Sunderland. And this is my, this is my team's uh, colors. This is my, jer what do you call them, jerseys? This is my team's jersey, Sunderland. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan. I like to go and watch the games. I like to go and support my team. It's a local team. I don't get it in Canada when you support a team which is about a thousand miles away. Uh, like, how do you support a team when you can't even watch the games? So, you know, we could, it's my city. That's my city that I'm from. And we lived in the south of England for a long time. And a friend of mine said, I've uh, told my wife, it was a secret, said, I've got tickets to go and watch uh, Arsenal and play football. But we don't want to tell Simon. It's a secret. And so... Um, my friend arranged for two or three of us to go uh, away for the day. And he was good friends with um, someone in Parliament. 
and I thought, oh, we're going to go and visit this guy in Parliament. I was really quite excited. So he arranged for us to go to London. And when we arrived in London, he pulled out my Sunderland top and I never twigged and he said, we're going to go and see Arsenal play Sunderland at the Arsenal Stadium. And I was like, wow, wow, that's amazing. And he says, but you've got to wear your top. And so I thought, I can't wear my top because I'm going to go and sit in the Arsenal end. <laughs> and in England, you don't mix supporters. You just don't. You can get beaten up, right? And I was like, oh my goodness. And so they made me wear my top, but I, I had a coat on and I zipped my coat up. <laughs> So you couldn't see my jersey. And so we went into the Arsenal end, and I'm sat there, and Sunderland, they're not a good team, you know. Uh, Arsenal were good at the time, and they, they, they scored a goal. And all the Arsenal fans are up there, the cheering, way, go Arsenal. And I'm there thinking, oh, if I don't stand up, you know, it's going to be suspicious. So I stand up, and I'm like, yay. <laughs> and then we leave. The ground, the sun got beat that day. We leave the ground and we're going home to the metro station, the, the, the underground. And there's just tens of thousands of Arsenal fans there. And my friend's like, he's a Sunderland fan. He's a Sunderland fan. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just the worst thing ever. And I just wanted to blend in. My whole objective that day was just to blend in with all of the Arsenal fans and not be seen as a Sunderland fan. Now, that's okay if we're talking about football. But the problem is, as Christians, we try and blend into the world around us because we don't want to be seen as being different. It's okay for football, but it's not okay being a Christian. We are called to stand out. In fact, we are called to be, we are the image of God here on earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 tells us, that we are indeed the image of God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are the image of God. We are the bearers of God's image. And in the Hebrew word for the image of God is tzalem. And that means to be a shadow or carved out in the image of something else. And in the context of the Bible, it is to be carved out in the image of a non-physical being who is Yahweh. We are the image of Yahweh, the image bearer of Yahweh, of God. We are God's representatives here on earth. We are called to be the physical means through which God would manifest his own divine presence in the world. This is a big responsibility. This is a huge responsibility that we have. And John wants us to take it seriously. The New Testament even takes it one step further and says that Jesus Christ is the complete image of God in Colossians 1.15. It says the exact representation of God's being. And this is why it matters, because in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness, who is the exact representation of God here on earth. And so, what does that mean for us? It means that we can't really begin drawn into the world, but we have to stand up for what God wants. If you want to know what God is like, look towards Jesus. If you want to know what we should be like, look towards Jesus. This is what John is saying in chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Here's my question for us this morning. Are we a thermostat or a thermometer? You see, a thermometer reflects the environment that it's in. If it's hot, the thermometer is hot. If it's cold, the thermometer is cold. But a thermostat, the thermostat has its own standards and brings the temperature up or down around it. Are we a thermometer or a thermostat? Are we blending in to the environment around us? Or are we changing the environment around us according to the teaching and the calling of God in our lives and the the image of Christ that we are bearing here on earth? And here's an encouragement that, do you know what? We're not here forever. Verse 17, he says, the world and his desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lasts forever. You see, We in Christ are called to an eternity and we have something to look forward to and eternity is a long time. Eternity is a ginormous, imagine a long line, it's a huge line and yet our time on earth is just fleeting. It's it's just for a moment and yet we don't focus on eternity and developing eternity. We focus on our time here on earth, this tiny little moment. I need to get a job. I need to go to the right university. I need to find the right husband and wife. I need to focus on getting a good, you know, raise my kids well with a dog and make sure that I have a good car. And we, are, we worry about these, our time here on earth. And we don't invest in the eternity God is calling us to. C.S. Lewis says this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Jim Elliot says, said this, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Like the thermostat, we are in the world, but not of the world. We don't belong here. But while we are here, we have a great opportunity to change things for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Okay, that's my first point. Don't be seduced by the world. My, two, my second points are quick. Don't worry. It says, this, don't be deceived by false teaching. Verse 18 to 23 Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how you will know it is the last hour. They went from us, but they did not really belong to us. 
In verse 18, John is talking about the last days, the time between Christ being here on earth and when Christ is going to come again. And during this time, antichrists or false teachers will appear until one great antichrist will arrive like in the book of Revelation. But uh, anti, the word anti in Greek has two meanings and both are relevant for us this morning. And the first anti can mean against. So there are teachers who will be opposed to Jesus. They will try to undermine what Christ came uh, to do in the world. So against. And the second one is instead of. There are teachers who will try and take the place of Jesus. They will claim his kind of authority. They will try and be like Christ uh, and they just won't preach Christ. A good lesson in life is this, don't follow the man, but follow Christ in our lives. Where did they come from? And here's the scary bit. They went out from us. Where do these antichrists, these false teachers come from? They came from within their own, from among us. And that's always been the way in churches. In the history of people of God, the most dangerous and damaging ideas and personalities have come from within the church. Now, if I'm honest, I don't mind persecution from outside of the church. Well, I do. I don't want that. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. But persecution from outside of the church has a way of bringing people together. Makes Christians stronger together. Okay, bring it on. But persecution from inside the church, false teaching, can destroy and split churches very, very easily. <clears throat> when Paul writes to the Philippian church, he's excited and joyful. Why? Because they were united together. Philippians 1, 3 to 5, Paul says that he rejoices in the fact that they are working together, that they are united in Christ for a common gospel, for a common purpose. And then in Philippians 1.27, Paul is encouraging the believers to keep united in Christ. They were together, to continue to stand together, to affirm each other. And I love that. They loved each other and they loved God. But what were these false teachers saying? In verse 22, it says that they were just denying Christ. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. They deny Jesus. Why do I believe that the Bible is totally without errors? Because Jesus says it is. Do you know why I believe that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born again? Because Jesus said so. Do you know why I believe that the morality of the Bible is binding in the 21st century? It's because Jesus said this about it. John 1, 5, verse 20. Look what he says about Jesus, who Jesus is. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is who Christ is. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? 
Do you know him as Christ? He's God. He's the son of God. He's the image of God. Do we know him? Doctrine is the basis for everything else. Doctrine just means teaching. The basic teachings of the Bible form the basis for everything else we do and say. So don't be seduced by the world, John is saying. Don't be deceived by false teachers. And finally, he just says this, be grounded in the word. Verse 24 to 27 teaches us to be grounded. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what has been promised to us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from the Holy Spirit remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all these things, and as that, that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. It says remain in him. Remain in the word of God. Remain in Christ. Now, the ESV says abide. Like in John 15. To remain in something is, is, is good. Um, but to abide in Christ, is, is, it just sounds so much better. We are to abide in the word of God. We are to abide in Jesus in our lives. To abide means an ongoing relationship through his word with God. And that's why this is also the line of defense against false teachers and spiritualities. He says in verse 26, I am writing these things to you so that you do not get led astray. To be led astray isn't like, right, I'm going to just quit the church today, I'm done. To be led astray is that slow process of being pulled away subtly from the church. John's saying, listen, don't be led astray. We have optimism. In verse 27, it says that we have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Christianity isn't just about having a head knowledge. It's about a change of heart. And that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God in us. And the point John is making here is that nothing is new. No novelty, no additional secret knowledge. It's all about Jesus. Hebrews 1 Chapter 1, verse 1 says that Christ is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, the prophets and the law. And in the New Testament, he is, he's come again, something new to bring us. And there is this perfect harmony between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When the God's Spirit comes to live within us, the Word of God comes alive to us and we hear the voice of God. Now we're going to get preachers and we're going to go to conferences and we're going to hear all sorts of books and all sorts of teaching and that's good and that's profitable but none of them have the final authority as the Bible does. The only final authority is the Spirit of God using the Word of God and that's the point in verse 27. It's all about discernment. Test sermons. Test things that people say by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. And I, like John, am optimistic that we will build a church that will still be here to welcome Jesus Christ when it, as he returns, even if you and I are long gone. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom of John, that he guides us, Lord, not to kind of be seduced by the world around us, but he calls us to stand firm and strong for Christ. We thank you that we have the word of God to guide us, that, that moral compass in life, that we have the ability to keep each other accountable, Lord. We thank you for the church. We thank you for each other. I thank you for my family here at New Life, that we can keep growing together in Christ, in our faith, in our relationship with each other. And I just pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we continue to be grounded in your word and in your spirit in all that we do. Lord, we love you so much. And I pray that each day we can become more like Christ with your guiding in our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen.